Hey everybody, welcome to Too Busy to Flush. I'm JR. I'm Molly. And if this is your first time joining us, thanks for being here. We are a weekly podcast um, that attempts to talk about, well, we have unscripted real life conversations between a husband and a wife. We've got four children, ages, let me see if I can get this right, because we just had a birthday, 11, 10, 7, and 4. Yeah, that that 10 to 7 feels like a really big gap until the 7 turns to 8 in a yeah. couple of months. And then, and then, the, then the 8 to 4 seems like a huge gap. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Yep. Can you guys hear the cat in the background? I'm. Our cat was. Molly she... was walking by, and she was like, "Meow," as she does. Yesterday, I was sitting in here, and she she ran in. She wanted in, so I opened the door. She ran in, and jumped up on that chair, and I'm like, "What? That's where I'm sitting." So then she jumped off, and she jumped onto that chair. And that's where I sent you a picture of a cat sitting at a keyboard, yep. which was mildly amusing. You're taking a selfie for... Uh, I'm trying to, for our Instagram. Um, so you'll probably wonder, what the he- are you guys going anywhere? We don't know where we're going when we sit down and have a conversation. We generally have thoughts collected throughout the weeks, the week of things that we you know might want to discuss and chat about. Um, but then... You know, it could get totally derailed or stuff comes up in the middle of the conversation. But Molly and I don't spend, um, yes, uh, I work um, a gig. I have a gig-based life now and work in a studio at home um, when I have the opportunity. But in Molly homeschools, so we are around the house together, but we don't... We don't spend a lot of time in conversation. Except we did drive all the way across Wyoming and have some windshield time. This week. Yes. And we went to Wyoming to visit your 98-year-old grandmother? And a half. At this point... 98 and a half. It's like going back at, to being you know, a kid. No, I actually was thinking... I've been telling people she's 98 and a half, but I feel like at this point, you know, when you're telling a baby's age up to about two, you go, oh, she's 22 months. Mm-hmm. And that that... Difference between 21 months and 23 months or 22 and 24 is actually a really big deal. I feel like I need to start telling people she's not just 98 and a half. Her birthday's in January. So January to October is 90. She's almost 99. She's 98 and three quarters. Whoa. I just read, I just saw a headline of he was 101 and he was one of the principal military personnel that a band of brothers character was um his you know his division um was featured yeah you know, their their tales he just died and he was 101 you know who else just died angela lansbury the wow. the writer murder she wrote she was 96 was she really mm-hmm why yeah. is she slapping you in the face? <laughs> not not Angela Lansbury. She's dead. <laughs> no, the cat. If you look at her ears, she's she's not happy anymore. Oh. She wants me to let her go. She oh. she's not purring. She's she, there's no claws in the hand slapping the paw slapping the face yet. But um ooh, ooh. she'll start twitching her tail pretty soon. Yeah. You guys, cats she's are squirming. the funniest. They are are so funny. She'll let Elise drag her around like a doll by the head and never scratch her not a thing she'll meow sadly and then and then elise will drag her upstairs and put her to sleep on her bed and the cat will sleep on elise's bed all night 
<laughs> I don't know if you guys could hear that, but I'm we're sure get, they could. We're getting to it like was not Molly's stomach. Tail twitching, cat meowing, and I'm. She is so much less tolerant of me than she is Elise. It's like she just knows I should know better, and Elise doesn't know better. So she, she's gonna punish me. Oh man. Okay. So we have. Um, yeah, so we just got back from a trip to Laramie. We've got a lot going on right now. I just agreed to start working part-time for Ski Patrol this uh, this winter. So Not as he's For those of you guys who are like, wait, you've been doing that. JR has been yeah. a oh, volunteer sorry. patroller yeah. for the last three, three years. years. Mm-hmm. And this year will be a pro patroller, which simply means that he's getting paid. And... Uh, the family, he will work enough that the family will still be able to ski. For I need free, to do a minimum. Well, I won't be able to ski for free. Really? Um, it was like the first year, like your pass is going to be a hundred bucks and the kids are going to be 50 bucks. Oh, but I have to have a minimum of two days. It's basically free with how much, um, ski passes are these days. Um, I need to do two days. So it could be three. I, we haven't settled. Um, it has to be a minimum of two. I said Monday through Wednesday would work really well so I can keep my weekends open and do music, uh, engineering gigs and stuff around town, which I am thoroughly loving, but I'll tell you what it is (laughs) there. I've said this multiple times, but you know, you, you listen to the media, you listen to the podcasts, you read the feeds, um, and, and you would think that everybody in the world is on board with, you know, uh, kind of that progressive, woke, super sensitive culture. Um, and there are industries in America still where that is very far from the truth. The music industry is being one. Some of the things these people say would, you know, I mean, I'm listening right now to, um, the rise and fall of Mars Hill podcast. And I have a lot of thoughts on that, but uh, one of the overarching things is, is some of the stuff Mark said over the years. Yeah, it was, was crass and uncalled for, but it wasn't, um, it wasn't as, as, uh, I still don't see it as, as, as damning as they're portraying. Yeah, exactly. And I saw a Twitter, like Molly, you, I sent you a couple, the, the Twitter things where, some woman made a remark and in the context it was bad, but like overall it's like, yeah, I'd take my child out and beat him too. I mean, I've said that before, but apparently that's just like way taboo now. So anyway, all that said is, well, it, yeah, it always is to say out loud. My, (laughs) (laughs) I can think it though. Um, All that to say is like my music world at the, at the two local clubs, one's a microbrewery, the other's actual a music club. Um, It's just, you know, before shift, during shift, and after shift, everybody's doing weed. Like all, you know, it's legal here in, in Billings. So there's always smoking pot, and they're just crass, uncouth. Um, some people might say, you know, some people would uh, could classify them as like maybe low income, low class, um, if you want to go in the classification thing. But um, it's just a whole. It's just a really. I feel way more at home. So than... here's okay. This. <laughs> Clearly is not where we were going to go tonight, but it's where we are right now. Well, we were we didn't have any plan, did we? Uh, well, I had some oh, thoughts okay. as always, but um, 
Being woke is a luxury, is a first world luxury. To be itchy about comments that somebody made on Twitter 10 years ago, 20, you know, did Twitter, Twitter didn't exist 20 years ago, but dredging up comedians' jokes and dragging them through. People who are just surviving don't have the time or energy Mm -hmm. to invest in being complaining and easily offended by that. Also, I forgot what my also was. Sorry, you guys, we're recording at 9.30 at night <laughs> because Jared's leaving in the morning. But no, I mean, wait, when you were saying like the, the, I, it's still not there. I don't know. I feel like I had a stroke. I'm, the thought is at the tip of my mind and it's just not forming, but it's like the thread when you pull it out with the wand or when Alva Stumbledore <laughs> pulls it far. out with the wand. I just pulled it out and it's not coming back. Um, but anyway, so that's it's a it's a really fun world to be a part of. Obviously, a lot of evangelistic prop evangelism opportunity. Although that's not, yeah, I don't always go into things thinking that. But Mal, we made this comment about ski patrol too. That's another world where me simply being um, a happily married father in this culture that by itself is a wild anomaly. Like these people are single generally, they go in and out of relationships. There's just, uh, they just, the lifestyle is just fly by the seat of the pants. And here I've settled down and committed, and it's it's a whole different, a whole different game. So anyway, so we're prepping. It's not only that you settled down and committed, but that you like it. Oh yeah, not that right. the fact that you're happy in the life that you've chosen is. Uh, weird to these people it's the choice is weird and then the happy emotionally stable settled happy with being tied down and not having this well i can live out of my car at the base of a ski ski hill but you're kind of planning to do that that. but you know i mean titus looks at the lifty lifestyle right now and thinks that would be an awesome lifestyle to to pursue and we're trying really Titus is 11 you guys almost 12 we're trying really hard to be like yeah for a season for sure. being a happy go lucky single guy just you and your dog go wherever you want do whatever you want hardly make any money that may be fun but in the long run is that going to be a satisfying lifestyle choice and we're trying to make the case to him that that what what God has called you to, and this actually, this kind of goes into what I've been thinking about a lot this week oh, in a lot of different areas. Uh, so I'll just go. So Titus, yesterday, yesterday was Lily's birthday. I gave the kids off a day off of school. Partly, by the way, you guys, she turned ten on ten ten. It was ten ten on the tenth. Cool. She was one day off from having. A very cool birth date, which would have been 10, 11, 12. She was born. Whoa. Her her friend Finnegan got that birth date. He was born. His birthday Rad. was today. His birthday is 10, 11, 12. She was 10, 10, 12. So yesterday cool. she turned 10 on 10, 10. And so that was her. They were calling it her triple golden birthday. So here's here's how confusing our kids' birthdays can be sometimes. Titus was born 12, 8, 10. And Lily's born 10, 10, 12. Yeah. Ooh. I'm always getting those mixed up. But Elise is the awesome one. It's one five one five. 
Yeah. <laughs> it's like, are we being dumb it. and giving people our kids' names and birth dates on out out there in the world? They don't have middle names. No. There's you can do you can do some something with it, but not a ton. Elise is the only one who doesn't have a birthday of the actual number of her day that's sequential with somebody. So Titus is is the eighth. Faith's is the ninth. Lily's is the tenth. Whoa, I never thought of that. And then you and I are the sixteenth and the seventeenth. Le- Faith months. is easily by far the hardest one for me to remember. I can never remember what year she was born. Barely remember the month and the day. I remember the month and the day, but the year is hard for me. She is just a classic fourth born. She does. She just is has to be her own person because. There's not a left enough left of me to like manage forming her, and she is, she is forming her own personhood. She is oh, doing she that is for sure. She, you guys, did not go to our homeschool co-op today because she decided she was scared to go, and this decision was five minutes before we were supposed to leave. So after dealing with it for five minutes, I said, "Okay, fine. You're gonna stay home with Daddy. We're out of here," and we were still late. And then at judo tonight, as it was time to go out on the mat, I she just started desperately clinging to my leg, and she said she was scared to go out and do judo. And she sat on my lap and cried for most of the hour. And uh, that was exhausting. That and the was... only opportunity I had to blow out sprinklers was today, and I got a later start than I was hoping, so I couldn't go to judo to manhandle that. We're a mess. We are. We are um, a mess. Anyway, really so, quick. Well, go ahead. Oh, go well, ahead. you're so, you're going to segue into something. I was. Let's do it. Let's I, dive in deep. T- well, so yesterday Titus is the kids got the day off of school, so I could kind of do some catch up from our weekend trip and help make Lily make her birthday cake. And which, by the way, you guys, I'll have Jr. post this pic, this recipe on our links, our show notes, and stuff. It was a flourless chocolate cake that was very easy for Lily to whip up. I think she added more salt than it sh- she should have. So Molly's present, she said this yesterday morning, which cracked me up. She's like, my present to Lily is Lily gets to make all her own treats today. She got to make her own birthday cake. <laughs> she didn't. I made cinnamon rolls in the morning, but she made her her own cake and almost nothing could have made her happier than to have that much control over her birthday treat. So she... I sent her down to my parents' house to pick mint, and she simmered mint leaves in milk and cream to make fresh mint chocolate chip ice cream. I did most of the rest of the work, but she did that. And then she made a flourless chocolate cake with a chocolate ganache topping, and it was about, I would say, three-quarters cake, one-quarter ganache that was just pure cream and chocolate chips. But she did almost all of it by herself except for the oven part, and it came out wonderfully. It's better cold the next day. I just sat recovering from dealing with Faith at Judo and might have Is eaten. it better cold? I'm going to it try is better cold. before I go to bed. Yeah, yeah. And anyway, it was great. If you want a very easy to whip up, impressive, gluten-free dessert that primarily uses ingredients oh, you have on hand. The ice cream was awesome. All the mint, the fresh it mint. It was extremely was like, minty. Wow. I, I, poured a little, I poured a little dash of rum on I my ice cream last that. night, and it was lovely. I made a joke about it being a mojito. 
<laughs> it was it was pretty tasty. Anyway, and I don't have a recipe for that because I pulled up a mint recipe, mint chocolate chip ice cream recipe, and and everybody knows how to make ice cream. Well, ice cream it was maker. getting late. Well, this was a recipe where you use the you use egg yolks, and it you, oh, so you have to, which is very common for homemade ice cream, or I think the technical term for it would be a custard, but you make a custard and then you freeze hmm. it. But so you you actually cook them over very low heat until the egg yolks are basically cooked, but not you you stir it constantly so they're not scrambled. Okay. And then you strain out the uh it, and it makes it very rich and uh has a creamier consistency that doesn't melt into wateriness like a straight cream and milk ice cream would but i just didn't have the time or the patience by the time we got around to that to to do the egg yolk part and so i just after the after i strained the mint leaves they the mint leaves sat in the milk and cream mixture for an hour where you warm it up together and then you just let it sit for an hour and infuse and i strained that and then just added sugar and vanilla and popped it in the fridge until it was cold enough to to freeze but delish anyway so in the midst of all of this and the kids are getting a free day from school titus is riding his bike around and he he kind of pedals up to me in the driveway and he goes you know what my life motto is and i was like no do tell he goes my life motto is do what makes you happy (laughs) and so on the one hand i was like what what is going on in this 11-year-old boy's brain that he is formulating a life motto? Where did he hear the idea of a life motto? And where did he get the idea of this being his life motto? I think instinctively that is the life motto for all kids, right? This is why they throw fits when they don't get their way. is because well, their life yeah. motto is very deeply ingrained as do what makes you happy. And yet... What led him to articulate that in that moment? And I've been thinking since then, so for uh, 30 hours since then, I really need to circle back with that because my response while I was cleaning the house to get ready for a birthday. It was a very mom response. It was a very mom response, which was, well, that's all fine until you have to do things that don't make you happy, but you just have to do them. Because there's things that you have to do that don't make... And now I'm going to go inside and empty the dishwasher and clean the kitchen. It doesn't make me happy, but I have to do it. And... And, you know, I'm following up to support Molly. I'm like, yeah, there's a lot of stuff. I don't. I, I was doing something I didn't want to do at you, the time. I was like, I got to do this and I don't want to do it. You were, you were cleaning out the van or something oh, after the yeah. trip. Yeah. And, and so on the one hand, I think that this 11-year-old boy who's turning into mush brain mode, getting there anyway... And has become very hard to motivate to exercise or he he loves to read. He loves to play with his Lego still. And if I let him, what he would do all day is ride his bike, play Legos, or read books. Yes. And before we get too much further into the conversation for anybody listening that doesn't understand what you meant by mush brain. <laughs> in when When kids hit puberty... There is a documented 
phenomena that goes on in their brains that is not dissimilar to what happens to a caterpillar when it goes into its chrysalis, as it's becoming a butterfly, it dissolves into goo. If you cut open a chrysalis halfway through the process or a third of the way into the process of it becoming a butterfly, it's literally this little cocoon, not a cocoon, that's what moths do, but it's this little casing full of mush. And somehow God did this incredible thing in having this caterpillar be able to dissolve into goo, and then all of these bits and pieces reassemble themselves into something amazing and beautiful. also reminds me of the Terminator, um, you know, where the metal robot gets burned and disintegrated and dissolved in lava. T-1000. And then reassembles and yeah. did the same. Anyway. T-2, Savit. No, T-2. I don't know the Terminator movies that well, but I have this vision in my mind of him being dissolved in Mm -hmm. lava or like a metal making factory. His name was, the actor's name was, uh, oh, some Terminator fan out there is going to be, he was a really good actor. His brother, this is a fun fact I didn't know, his brother was a lead singer for the 90s band Fuel. Hmm. That is way beyond anything my pop culture yeah, knowledge. I've got to like whatever know. So anyway, so mush brain is the, the the teenage brain while going through puberty actually does a bit of this dissolving before reassembling into something much more intricate and beautiful and capable of more thought and planning and processing. And if you were to ask an insurance agent or a rental car agency, they would tell you that the age at which males' brains finally reassemble into a butterfly instead of mush is around the age of 24. Robert <coughs> Robert Patrick played the T-1000 in, uh, in Terminator. So I have been warning Titus for several years that, in fact, he <laughs> actually referenced mush brain to me the other day, or today, Excuse me, I'm going to cough. <coughs> he referenced mush brain to me, and he he said, you know, I feel like I should switch from don't think, just do it, to don't do it, stop and think <laughs> when I hit mush brain stage. But I've been telling him for years, you're going to turn into a mush brain. And at that point in time, don't take it personally This is a healthy part of your development, but at that point in time, you will do things and I will say, what were you thinking? And you will stare at me blankly because you actually were not thinking. You, the only part of your brain that was acting then was your amygdala, which is, if you follow the whole brain child people, there's all sorts of different references for this, but the amygdala is also called your reptilian brain. It's your fight or flight reactionary brain. And and sometimes teenage boys' brains don't do anything but amygdala because their upper brain is in mush brain mode. So, so I have to clarify because there's a pop culture fan out there going, you got it way wrong. Sorry. Robert Patrick's brother, Richard Patrick, is the lead singer for Filter, my. not Fuel. My bad. He's oh my Filter's gosh. lead singer. I didn't know this. I just looked it up. He started out touring with Nine Inch Nails as a guitar player. That's kind of cool. You're not speaking my language at Sorry. all. Sorry. <clears throat> 90s pop culture. Oh, by the way, speaking of 90s pop culture, the 
the writer Mike Cosper of Christianity Today, who hosts and wrote the Rise and Fall of Mars Hill, mm-hmm. keeps using the phrase the turn of the century. I get it, it's true, but stop making me feel so freaking old. The turn of what century? 2000. <laughs> <laughs> but right, Just, remember? Stop this. When we were in high school, we were oh. learning about all of the events at the turn of the century that led up to World War One. <laughs> I know. So every time he says turn of the century, I think 1900s. I'm like, Or the what? early 2000s or oh the 1990s. Or the oh fact that gosh. in eight years, 1980 will have been 50 years ago. Thanks to Addie for that tidbit. Uh, so, so going back to the original segue of this discussion, <laughs> Titus says his life motto is do what you want or do what makes you happy. And, and what I want to say is, on the one hand, you, you can't make that a life motto because you have duties and jobs that will not make you happy, but that will... You are obligated to do just simply out of the necessity of being a human being living in a human world. If you do not work, you will not eat. That's True. that's a biblical truism that I have actually pulled on the kids when they are grumbling about chores. I will not feed you dinner unless you complete these chores <laughs> that I'm asking you to do. I'm not asking a ton of them, to be honest, you guys. But also, there are a lot of things in life that are unpleasant that are good for you, like exercise. I mean, we've been telling him on days that he doesn't have judo, he needs to do, go out and do some exercises. And we have a bit of a routine set up for him, like pulling a tire across our yard. And it is unpleasant, but as as the New Testament says, that discipline at the time is unpleasant, but it reaps a good harvest for you in the future. So whatever that discipline is, whether it's learning how to do math, you can't function in this world without learning math, a certain level of math. You can't function in this world without learning to read. And we have a kid who admits that she doesn't like brushing her teeth because it's too much work. She's too, and she will say, I am too lazy to scrub my teeth. Can you just do it for me? I'm too lazy to read that paragraph on that page because I look at it and it just looks too long for me. If it's in little one sentence, if it were 10 pages of one sentence each, she could do it. But if it's one paragraph of 10 sentences, she looks at it and goes, no, it's too much. It's too hard. I can't do it. You have to learn how to do things like that or you can't function as a human being in this world. It's unpleasant things. Do what you want simply doesn't work. In this world, it develops an extremely poor work ethic. It's going to make you an unhappy person and an unhealthy person in the long run. Yeah. On the other hand, what is man's primary purpose? To glorify God and enjoy him forever. And enjoy him forever. Psalm 34. Oh, boy. I'm going to blame this on my brain not working well, but I probably couldn't remember which song, what number it is in in normal health but taste and see that the lord is good blessed is the man who delights you know psalm one delight in the law of the lord on his law he meditates day and night that person is blessed the bible is so littered with essentially 
boiled down to an 11-year-old's life motto, do what makes you happy, the Bible is is replete from Genesis to Revelation with the fact that God wants you to be joyful, but it's a joy that has to be found in him. Because God knows that, as Augustine said, you have made us for our, for yourself, and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. And so that's what I want to to point Titus to in the let's let's embrace the do what makes you happy because you were designed to enjoy life on this earth. You were actually designed to love mountain biking. You were designed to love skiing. You were designed to love amazingly delicious chocolate cake. And you were designed to be surprised at the fact that you don't like mint things, but homemade mint chocolate chip ice cream that's made from mint from your grandma's garden is delicious and you're going to have three helpings of it because you can't help yourself, even though you don't like mint chocolate chip ice cream. You were designed to be surprised by joy, to steal C.S. Lewis's mm. quote, but but you were also designed to just flat out enjoy things. But you were designed to do that in accordance with the rules and the way that God created the earth, which means you're designed to have to work hard in order to enjoy some things. And you're designed to be healthy, eating according to the rules of good health. And you're designed to, as John Piper has tweaked the Westminster Catechism, question one, to you glorify God by enjoying him. You're designed to to find your joy in glorifying God, not in glorifying yourself, which the man-centered fallen human nature is going to say do what makes you happy is i do what i want nobody tells me what to do i'm just all about self-centered pleasure but the ultimate path to joy and being happy in life is taking up your cross is dying to self is you know in my case being a mom who's doing the dishes over and over and doing the dirty laundry and sick to death of the four-year-old who writhed on my lap all day and then what does she want to do when we're praying as a family at bedtime sit next to me <laughs> you know it's adorable and I'm sit next to mom yeah and she just has no concept she has no concept of it but i actually deliberately made a choice in that moment to not be like Ugh, just give me two inches of space but to say, you know what? Yes, this is this conveys my love and delight in you by wrapping my arm around you while we pray as a family, rather than giving in to my very strong sinful urges to just recoil and make her know how sick I am of her and how tired I am of her antics all night. Because, of course, I didn't tell you this. She sat on my lap for the entire first class of judo because she. I think she was afraid that if, if I, if Master Allen saw her bouncing around in the area or whatever, that he would pull her into the class or something. Anyway, she sat on my lap for the entire first class and cried occasionally. And when a second class, Elise gets out of her first class, they both take off their geese. And they were wound up like tops, literally jumping and bouncing around and spinning in circles and talking so loudly. 
um, Alex was teaching the second class and he has such a quiet voice. Mm-hmm. I actually think that the second class was having trouble hearing him sometimes because our two girls were so wound up in the waiting area. So I kept telling him to be quiet and to mm-hmm. calm down. And that combination of you're going to sit on my lap and be miserable and then you're going to be bouncing off the walls for the next hour was super annoying to me. All that to say, all that to say, that's where God has called me. And to punish my children for that is not loving, it's not delighting in them, it's not delighting in, in God and what he's doing in my life right now. And... I think that I need to work on modeling that to the kids. But um, there are two convergences of other things that I've been thinking about with that do what makes you happy versus your primary purpose is not to be happy, but it's to glorify God and in doing so to enjoy him forever. And the first one is that in our Sunday school class at church two weeks ago, because we didn't go to church this week while we were in Wyoming, the teacher was talking about what is a church body's purpose, a local church body. And the purpose of a local church body, he had a number of different Bible verses that essentially said the purpose primary purpose of a church body is to glorify God. (laughs) And he did not reference the Westminster Catechism question one, but I just had this light bulb moment. Wait a second. If, If we as individuals, our primary purpose is to glorify God and enjoy him together, corporately as the body of Christ, as the bride of Christ, our primary purpose also in community is exactly the same. It's yeah. to glorify God and to enjoy him forever as a community, as a committed to each other, working together, serving each other, supporting each other, group of people who individually and corporately are committed to glorifying God and enjoying him forever. I don't know why I've never made that connection before, but I just feel like sitting back and taking a breath and visualizing the church body and thinking my job, not just as an individual, I guess I'm such an American that I've only ever thought what is man's primary purpose in extremely individualistic terms rather than in a corporate sense that, yes, I knitted together with other members of the body of Christ I'm not doing this just as me, but all of us, our primary purpose together is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. So I, I don't know. I hadn't made that connection either, but it didn't, I don't know, it didn't blow me away like it blew you away. Hmm. I've had some pretty interesting, I, my blow away moment for the week was one of, one of the devotionals I'm going through and I'm, I'm reading a lot of things right now. Um, but one of them is, uh, is, uh, a devotional that, and I, I, I don't want to be a cynic, but it's a devotional that Crossway has on their ESV Bible app that Paul Tripp does called Lead. And it's just like a short, you know, eight-week thing or three-week thing or something like that, 12-session or something. I don't know. It's limited. But, I mean, it's... <laughs> 
the cynic part of me is like, okay, they're trying to sell a, they're trying to sell his book right now. Uh-huh. There's a cynic part of me, which I get it, but he has really good stuff, but he made the comment. It was either today or yesterday. He made the comment that the, the, it was putting on the, the, the daily. Oh man, I have to grab my notes now. Now I'm having, now you're having a brain. Now I'm having moment. a brain, a brain, a brain melt here, but I've got it here in my, oh, that's the wrong one. Um, I've got it here in my bullet journal because I, I write down these things when I, I don't know what you guys do for, um, reading, but I keep reading notes. So things come up and I'm like, Oh, interesting. He's talking about leadership and he's using the a passage in first Peter. Um, he said, you know, living spiritual warfare, he's talking about spiritual warfare and the fact that it's not this big battle as we typically think of. We always think of it as like this giant battle, uh-huh. but it's, it's daily life. It's all of the little things every single day. And how, what does God say? He says to put on the full armor of God, which is going back to Christian discipline, things that are hard. It's <clears throat> mm-hmm. daily prayer, scripture reading. And so I've been pondering for the last day or two, I've really been... And it's just serving the people and doing Yeah, and I've been ruminating... That are in front of yeah, you. Yeah, I've been ruminating on putting... What does the full armor of God look like every day in, in honestly, in daily mundane life? Like I'm not, I'm not actively involved in any, you know, uh, direct or definitive ministries per se. Um, I'm not, you know, not serving on any church things right now. So I'm, I'm not quote unquote under attack or maybe I'm not being targeted by the devil or whatever the case is. But every single day we're faced with this ongoing fallen world and, and then Satan still tries to get in there and, and, you know take us down. And so what does that look like in those little things, in those everyday things, in how I respond to my son, in how I interact with you, in how I, uh, in how I manage my time, you know, all those little things, you know, what does this full armor of God look like in that capacity? It takes on, to me, it took on a very different picture of, you know, cause I was, maybe it's just the way I was, I thought it was a big battle. Like, Hey, I'm going to go out and do a, a you know, we're going to go out and do some evangelism today. Got to put them on, you know, put it all on, you know, everything yeah. else. But like, you know, the faith, the trust, like even just like God provide for my daily bread today. Um, you know, you know, help me trust you for X. Help me be okay with Y. Because um, obviously this is where you want me. So, you know, type of mm-hmm. thing. So all those, all those little questions. So that was my aha moment. Or my my profound thing. So not necessarily Brad's um, or the book's, uh, uh, you know, thoughts on things. But it totally makes sense that we would glorify God as a as a body, as a church body. Mm-hmm. But if you For were, sure. I think if you were to ask the average person, what's the purpose of a church? Oh yeah. I don't think that most people's answer would be. To glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. Mm-mm. What's the purpose of a church body? No. It wouldn't be their answer at all. Like, even I asked why why it didn't include the Great Commission. Because, like, that to me is one of the key things. And and he's like, well, it's kind of included right here. I'm like, ah, yeah, it is, isn't it? Yeah. You know? but, but overarching all of that, you know, that's mm-hmm. the first framing point in the Westminster Father's 
wanted that to be the framing point for everything else they said. And which is also, here's an interesting aside. I, the catechisms, the reform catechisms that I'm familiar with, so specifically the Westminster Catechism and the Heidelberg Catechism, which I'm less familiar with, but was encouraged by Sola Gratia Co. on Instagram a couple of months ago Mm -hmm. to try to read through the entire Heidelberg Catechism in one sitting. And I think I made it about a third of a way in. But the, the framing thought for the people who wrote the Heidelberg Catechism was comfort. Was comforting distressed believers what is so so question number one in the heidelberg catechism is what is your only comfort in life and in death and then it moves into my only comfort in life and in death is that i'm not my own but belong body body and soul soul. to my only savior and you know it goes on in this long and lovely answer that i should have memorized and don't but i have it framed in our bathroom every time i pee i look at it and (laughs) and and so the that's the overarching, if you read through the Heidelberg Catechism with that in mind, the answers are framed in such a way as to provide comfort in, in that we belong to Jesus. The answers to the Westminster Catechism are framed in such a way that we are constantly reflecting back that our primary purpose is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. It's, it would be interesting to go back and refresh on when and why those catechisms were written. Yes. Because I know they were in, they were in response to uh, their, not only their cultural moment, but very critical theological um, debate moments. Debate moments in Christian history. Yes. So, and I don't remember. I don't. I couldn't tell you what they are offhand because um, I love Christian history. I've really come to appreciate it. it. But there's a lot of it, and I don't spend all time ruminating over it. There's so many things to think about. So the other thing I've been thinking about a lot in the last two days, specifically, that segues from that somewhat is. At Canavox, we're working on, I don't think I'm saying something out of place, for it, but we're, we're trying to create a document called Tips for Talking to Your Kids about LGBTQ issues. And we have a Tips for Talking to Your Kids about Sex document that's available, I'll send you these links, as, as a, a booklet that you can purchase on Amazon. It's also available as a series of three articles that one is for aimed for elementary years one is late elementary middle school and then one is high school years because you're obviously going to talk about sex differently to those three age groups so we're we have this huge mandate of how do we talk to kids about of all these different ages about the lgbtq issues that are constantly pummeling kids today and the the classical model of education says up to about the age of 10, you don't present alternative arguments to your kids, but you saturate them in what is true, good, and beautiful. That's a phrase that classical educators would use. It's the concept of studying the the real so you can determine the counterfeit. Yes, yes. But also setting 
going back to previous conversations we have, setting up, setting up thoughts, framing ourselves to delight in what is good. Exactly. You know, like the so, food, the diet. Exactly. Thing, you know? I, and so for all of these things, for in classical education, you immerse kids in beautiful classical music. You immerse kids in good literature. You get you show them beautiful artwork. You do all of these things so their brains are just full to the brim while their little brains are sponges of the good, the true, and the beautiful. Well, in, in sexual education for kids, up to, traditionally, we would have said up to the age of 10, but because kids are getting exposed to things more and more, we have to say it's a prudential parental decision. You want to expose them. You want to saturate them in what is good. But if you're a seven-year-old, if your next-door neighbors are two women who are raising a family together, you can't shelter your five-year-old, your seven-year-old from saying, but our next-door neighbor has two mommies, instead of showering your children with the affection, the different forms of affection that mom and that dad bring to the table and the beautiful complementarity of parenting, that there's no such thing as generic parenting as Ryan Anderson says in his book, Truth Overruled, there's mothering and their fathering, and these two things are are different, and they should be valued as different. But what you said is actually where I've been thinking with this, is as we're training our children, you know, somebody used the phrase in some of the discussions I've been reading for the last two days, how challenging it is for parents to work up the courage and kind of take that deep breath and talk to their children about deviant sexual behaviors and introducing things to them and recognizing how this their sweet innocent world is is kind of never going to be the same when they realize that there are people who operate in this way or when you're talking to your kids when your kids realize what abortion is for the first time and you're like yes there are moms who for reasons of desperation or reasons of being callous who know they have a baby growing in their bellies and who kill it. And, you know, we can instill compassion for these women, all these things, but to a kid, especially a kid who has younger siblings and has an imagination, that can be a pretty horrifying realization to them if they've had a baby brother or sister be born. So... Uh, the thing that's been impressed that I, as I've been reading this, is we can't pass on to our kids good taste in anything, in food, in music, in friendship, in loving the Lord and his church, in, in views of sexuality, unless we ourselves are delighting in what is good and true and beautiful first. So we, we can, parents can come to us and, and there's, I want to avoid telling people, which I know both of our, all of our parents listen to this and they're going to, our moms are going to be like, oh, I did such a bad job raising my kids because I did this. But this was the church culture that we grew up in, which was sex outside of marriage is bad. Don't do it. That's what we got. And well, would you want to, you know, what is the, the famous Matt Chandler quote? Like, you know, 
if you if somebody tramples on this rose and you know just talking about virginity you know do you want that rose and matt chandler's like jesus wants the rose maybe talking about <laughs> matt chandler now is verboten because he's now a fallen evangelical leader as we all do as we all will he, be eventually right? i didn't think he, anything he did was that bad well what was publicized whatever. wasn't did right. wasn't that bad but anyway i that you know but but in my youth group evangelical culture it was you know well if your future spouse finds out you're not a virgin <laughs> good luck they might not want to marry you because you're dirty and yeah there was a lot of shame there's a lot of guilt. shame and guilt and the only the only thing that 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 we were offered because i think it's the only thing that they had to offer us at that time was it's bad don't do it without this robust understanding of the beauty of the human sexual relationship as god created it in marriage to be fruitful and multiply and also to build a relationship of trust and of being known and to experience at least some of the going back to the pre-fall garden of naked without shame and um and so to to have this beautiful picture that we that that scripture and that natural law holds out to us of what what is good sex like right delight yourself in the lord god created you to have a good sex life <laughs> And so it, pursue that. I mean, truly, truly pursue couples out there. Pursue, pursue it. having a good sex life and don't do what makes you happy as like you're an 11 year old boy. Do what is good for you. Do what is best for you physically and spiritually and relationally. And that will lead to ultimate happiness and joy because you're living according to the manufacturer's instructions, if you will. And so I, just thinking about, you know, the do what makes you happy. All the 50-year-olds are like, I got a busted part. Can I send it back to the manufacturer for a new one? <laughs> hey, we're almost 50. Let's bump that age I know. up a little I was bit. like, we're getting, getting there. <laughs> we're getting there. Uh, no, but, but the idea of just going back to that, do what makes you happy. Yes, kind of. But it's actually a lot of work to do what makes you happy. And it's a lot of self-discipline to live according to the manufacturer's instructions for what will truly lead to happiness and joy and thriving. And I think that we, we have an incredible opportunity in this moment in history where just earlier today, you guys, JR sent me this. Uh, picture or was it a video the the D trans yeah there person. was a, it was a whole video that he did but you're not on Twitter so I just no sent he sent me he sent me the Twitter link and I don't know if you guys follow the D trans stories like I like I have followed some of them or if you watched uh what was the Matt Walsh documentary what is a woman what is a woman and that incredibly sad story of the woman who transitioned to being a man and is in excruciating pain and has these debilitating health concerns that will absolutely kill her. She who is living as a man still, uh, 
sooner rather than later. And she has young children still who no longer have a mom, but have a sort of mom, but won't have a mom at all when these health issues that were created by the transition finally kill her. Uh, this is a, um, I'm looking at the screen grab of what JR sent me and this person named at Casey Miller 1225 says just for some perspective this is what five almost five years of hormones does to a teenage girl remember I'm 21 so his the video in the video um he she he I'm guessing uh well it's a it's a woman who transitioned to being a man talked about going bald not being able to get all the stuff back and actually having regrets now having gone this far but having gone so far there's, you, can't there's no, there, you can't go back. I, I would actually, I, th- I think that the church has a tremendous opportunity to say you, you actually can go back. And Walt Heyer, I think is his last name. He lived as a woman for, I don't know, 10 or 20 years and had facial con- reconstruction surgery to present more as a woman. And he has a very soft voice, but he's a very, very staunch advocate now for, I mean, he ruined his family. He left his family in order to transition to being a woman. And he's a very staunch advocate now for uh, for not allowing people to transition. But he, I think that he would want to be in touch with someone like this and say, you may think that there's no hope. And yes, maybe you've had a mastectomy and you've taken these hormones that would that sterilized you. But you can still, to a certain extent, live a life of joy and fulfillment as as a woman as God created you to be and you know what it wears in the bible that some are eunuchs because other people made them so you Christ can redeem your very fallen experience and as the book of is it Joel where God says the promise that the Lord will restore the years that the locusts have eaten. Mm -hmm. He may not be able to provide you with the ability to have a family after being literally physically mutilated or chemically castrated, but, but he can redeem your experience and give you joy and hope in living. You're never going to find fulfillment trying to live as a man when every cell in your body is female. I don't think that's a, a positive path forward, but maybe there's a positive path forward to trying to embrace the femininity that still actually exists in you, even though your body may struggle to present that and you're psychologically scarred from all the trauma that people, the experts led you straight into. But where was I going with that? I pulled that up because I was, oh, where was I going with that? Just today I sent you something. I know, it was but then... A, it was it the was illustration a, or example for... For what? Do you want me to pause, rewind, and... Oh, man, you guys. This is why... This is why... What, about a year ago? year and a half ago, we switched to recording in the afternoon. I think it was less than that. And like half, with, like with people not knowing when we had switched to recording, we were getting comments... And you guys are so much more focused and <laughs> conversations are easier to follow. And here's exactly why. Because at 1030 at night, uh, my brain is ready to be. You in guys bed. get a good one. But we're getting it to you because I'm, like I said, I'm driving to, flying, flying to Salt Lake tomorrow and driving our new car back. 
um, from Salt Lake. Long saga for those of you that aren't familiar. We did some car shuffling, ended up realizing we didn't need our 12-mile-an-hour gas guzzler just to go around town. So we sold it a couple months ago, four months ago, ordered a new one, and we've been sitting around waiting for it to come in. Because guys, back in the day, you used to drive a car off the lot, it would lose 10000 in value. Now you drive a new car off the lot, it's worth five five grand more. Yeah, which is why we're getting a brand new car, which seems absurd. Uh it's because it was cheaper to buy a brand new car and wait four months than to get one For with a sure. hundred thousand miles. So I'm excited. I'm hanging out with our listeners, uh, the Olsons tomorrow. That'd be kind of cool. That yeah. would be cool. The LeBlancs are uh, traveling. So wish you well travels. And I'm sorry I'm missing you guys. Yeah. So I if think. If anybody else is in Salt Lake and wants to grab a beer, holler at me. <laughs> It, it's going to be too late by this time. No. If no, you listen to this on I'm gonna Wednesday. Put it up. I'm going to put it up in the morning. I'm going to put it up in the morning. Yeah. So tomorrow I'm going to get the car and then I'm going to go grab probably some lunch or some food somewhere. And then I got to go to Ikea because I'm going to put a new mattress in the van um, since I'm going to be living out of it partially this winter. And and then, yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I'm so, going to drive back Thursday morning though. So... Yes, Jared will leave Thursday morning and drive home and hopefully be home in time for judo. Yes. On Friday, Thursday night. But so I guess I we've now been talking for an hour, so I'm going to wrap up here. Looking at this picture of this person who we will bear scars for life. And the advice that she followed five five years ago was do what's going to make you happy. It was ill-formed advice from people who maybe probably had other uh, motives that should not have come into play in advising someone about making life-altering decisions like financial motives or a feather in their hat for helping somebody transition but ultimately, do what makes you happy failed this person as uh, as life advice. But it was because the happiness was, A, being viewed through an inappropriate lens. It was not a biblical or an actual grounded in reality lens of what's going to make you happy. And B, it was short-sighted. Five years ago, at 16 years old, this person had mush brain. Going through puberty, everything is chaotic and confusing and uncomfortable when your body is changing and the world is changing and your social skills are messed up and stuff. Don't make life-altering decisions when you have mush brain. <laughs> Whether, whatever sort of life-altering decision that is. Be aware of the mush brain. Don't let other people make those decisions for you. But and so it was short sighted in the sense of this is gonna this is gonna save me from this distress, this is gonna make me happy in the moment. And I think that we as people who want to remain firmly grounded in reality, because we are looking at the world God made and going, Okay, how how do we live within the way God created this world? We can learn things from mm -hmm. our body we can learn things from scripture and those two always 
work together. We may not always understand it, but they, you know, it's like reading the manual for the car manufacturer and looking at the engine. Those two are aligned, not infallibly. (laughs) There may be some stuff lost in translation, but when we're looking at the body and God's word, those two are infallibly aligned because our creator didn't make mistakes. And I think that we need to, in this, oh, I know where I was going with this. In this cultural moment where we've got all this crazy stuff going on and we've got young kids, we have this incredible opportunity to not, to have to dig in. We can't just say, don't have sex outside of marriage is bad. We have to dig in, kind of like the the 11-year-old kid who could look at something and say, well, that's an engine, that's how it works, or who takes the engine apart and understands how all of it works and can put it back together, as you read about nerdy homeschooling kids. Not our nerdy homeschooling kid, but some nerdy homeschooling kids do things like this. And that's the moment where we're at right now, is we're taking the engine apart and we're understanding how all the pieces move together and we're putting it back together in a way that it still works. And we, as Christians in this moment, whether we're parents or grandparents or in I'm breathing, if we're breathing and thinking, <laughs> right, we have so many crazy things coming at us in this moment. We, we don't have the luxury of going, don't have sex outside, sex outside of marriage is bad. We have to dig in and understand all the different ways that... Our sexed bodies, and by that I mean we were born male and female, and if God puts us in a marriage relationship, male plus female equals babies and family, and we get to look at all of the different ways that that's expressed in our relationships, in our world, in our bodies, in our minds, in our child rearing, in our, I mean, you name it. The way that we experience the world is always going to be influenced by the fact that God put us in sexed bodies. And we get to dig into all of those different ways and find the truth and the beauty and the goodness in them and delight in that and pass it on to others. And that, when you put all of that into a package and you turn the crank and what comes out is do what makes you happy, then, yeah, do what makes you happy because all of the, it's like making your own sausage. You can eat a hot dog that came from the store and you're like, I don't know what's in the sausage. Or you can make your own sausage and be like, you know what? I turned the crank and I put all of the ingredients well, in here. Well, not to, not to, not to beat a dead horse, but it goes back to. I don't want horse in my sausage. It's, it's going, it's going back to delighting in training yourself for what is really good. So all of a sudden, if you're, uh, if your interests and your desires and your passions align with all of the things you just said that come out of it, then awesome. Yeah, but do if it's what like makes do what makes me happy is going and drinking every night on the weekends, don't think that's going to work. Like you've got to train. You know, so part of it to me, I, I see like even with Titus is is how do we how do we attempt to give him great experiences, help him foster good experiences and of, give him good relationships rela- and good role models relationships christianity the faith um life living how is that lived out in daily life i think is all really um really helpful and at the end of the day you know what all this does ready for it ready for it helps us to glorify god and enjoy him Boom, forever. you got it <laughs> <laughs> but i think 
think that that like that that last component of enjoying him forever is such an incredible thing that we as Christians in our day and age, and obviously the Westminster divines back hundreds of years ago also felt this was so crucial. They made it the foundational point of their hundred question, hundred plus question catechism, but enjoying him forever. We do do what makes us happy and we are truly happy. We're not always happy. We're not happy go lucky, but we have a deep and abiding joy and we're living life according to the design of how to best thrive in this world and in the world to come. And I find myself more and more these days attracted to reading and to music and to speakers and to teachers and just to people in general that include an element of joy, of Christian joy in in their value system that shows up in both what they say and in how they live. I'm reminded of, I was just, it popped into my head, Psalm 37, 4, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. And I, 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 I always miss, growing up when you're hearing that verse, is like, oh, I really want to do this with my life, God. So I need to delight myself in the Lord. That's not how it works. It's the whole aligning your interests. When I delight myself in the Lord, that's great because the Lord delight, delights in the Lord. And the, then the desire I have is to delight in the Lord. So you kind of have this... this. It's totally the spiritual part of the end of craving. Oh, yeah, exactly. That's the end of craving. And that's that's kind of when we talk about this, that's where my head's at, mm-hmm. is like this whole thing, like we've got to foster these uh, tastes. good tastes and appetites. Because um, then when Tito does say something like, do what makes you happy, well, his heart and his mind and his... Uh, everything he is is oriented towards God. So when he's doing or pursuing things that bring, uh, that glorify God and enjoy him forever, then yeah, he is doing what, what makes him happy, mm-hmm. you know? So it's like, there's kind of this cool both and sort of thing going on. Yeah. So. Anyway. Um, all right, guys. So that's we've been on long enough, yammering away at ten thirty at night. I'll get this up uh, posted uh, on Wednesday morning. Was when you'll probably listen to it, or a little bit later. Hope you enjoy the show. If you do like what you've heard, please uh, don't forget to. It's been a long time since I've said this, but don't forget to leave us a rating on your favorite podcast app. Uh, iTunes um, is obviously really good, but I think uh, all the other all the other platforms have rating systems as well. It helps people find us. It helps people with similar interests, vibe. If you like us, share us with your friends. Um, tell them why. Tell them what you've enjoyed about us. We really appreciate it. It's the best compliment you can ever, uh, ever give us, which is cool. We are a totally self-funded podcast. You haven't heard any ads um, or anything like that. And for the time being, it's, I don't see that changing. Um, so we appreciate all of the, uh, all of the feedback and everything else. If you'd like to give us feedback personally, you can do so in three ways. First of all, you can send us an email at TB, the number two F TB two F at PM You can go to our website, 
too busy to flush, all grammatically correct, or tv2f.com. And you can scroll all the way down to a send us a postcard option. Thirdly, and this is by far the most popular option to date, you can join our Telegram group. And I'll include a link to our private group in the show notes. Click that. You can jump on over there on Telegram and join these 70 odd some other people who uh, we've got this really just kind of cool little uh, community going on. And, you know, out of those 70, you know, there's the 15 or 20 that are super active, um, which is cool. So uh, we do appreciate all of you. We love the conversations we have with you guys on Telegram. It's been a little quiet this week. We've all been like, we've all been busy and stuff. So um, we'd love hearing from you guys and hearing your feedback and your thoughts and opinions and all the other good things. So. Yep. And have a good trip tomorrow. Thanks. We'll see you on Thursday night. (laughs) I'm going to bed with you, babe. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not leaving right now. All right. We will see you guys hopefully next week. Next week.